You're listening to the Theology of Music podcast. Follow on YouTube and Instagram, support through buymeacoffee.com, and subscribe to the only podcast that unpacks the good and sometimes bad theology in the songs that we sing. Welcome again to the Theology of Music podcast. My name is Joel. Today, I am joined by another wonderful guest. His name is Michael Rhodes, Dr. Michael Rhodes. He has a PhD, uh, and he is a lecturer in Old Testament uh, at Cary Baptist College. He started at Cary in 2021, which he was telling me about it. It was He was supposed to be going there in person, and then it became a, well, pandemic. And so he couldn't do that, and so now he teaches online. He also teaches, uh, co-teaches courses in postgraduate programs and supervises uh, master's in art thesis. Is that what that is? Yeah. Uh, he holds a PhD in divinity from the University of Aberdeen Trinity College, Bristol. He, his dissertation explored how the Deuteron- Deuteronomic tithe meal and Corinthian Lord's suppers served as morally transformative feasts that shaped the community for holiness, justice, mercy, and solidarity. Did you write that yourself? Because that sounds like a professor wrote that. I don't remember. Oh my probably. gosh, that was that was a <laughs> sentence. Uh, <laughs> prior to coming to Cary, Michael spent seven years working for Christian community development programs, which I think this is huge, guys. You guys got to listen to this. First, he was in Kenya and then in the economically impoverished South Memphis community where his family now lives. In addition to this extensive community development experience, he also has been involved in racially and economically diverse church plants since 2009 and is an ordained pastor in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Ma- Michael's passion is to help the church hear and respond to God's call in scripture to become a community that embodies Jesus's good news for the poor. As a result, he has studied and published works on economic discipleship, racial justice, and poverty in scripture at both the academic and popular level, which is true. I, you know, one of your, the reason I found Michael is he did this recent article uh, that was published by Christianity Today, um, why we don't sing justice songs in worship. And I, I, it's an incredible read. I, if you guys, it's a quick read. It's not long. Um, not to say that he didn't spend a lot of time on it, but, uh, and I, and I love that the tagline, cause we were talking about this before with, with the song I just reviewed, how he loves let's, let's slop, let's swap sloppy wet kiss for break the arm of, of the wicked man, which one just shows your age. It shows our age. If that's the line you use, if that's like the most, Oh, okay. That's, What's what's a popular worship song with the kids? Oh yeah, sloppy wet kiss. That's that's the one that that just shows well, how old we are. If that's where we went first, <laughs> I have to say that the line about the sloppy wet kiss actually was didn't come from me. Uh, it oh, came okay. from my a friend and editor at Christianity Today, Kara Bettis. And when I saw the titling, I thought that's the best line in the piece, and I didn't write it. <laughs> You shouldn't have said that. You should have let people think, yeah, wow, that was like, that really grabs you. Why we don't sing justice songs of worship. Let's swap sloppy wet kiss for break the arm of the wicked man. Yeah. Uh, no, it's fantastic read. You guys really need to read it. And obviously we're going to talk about it in some way. Uh, but Michael, thank you so much. I mean, it was a hard time getting us together, but thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, really happy to be here, Joel. It's fun talking about these ideas and issues. So you, obviously, we were talking before the podcast, you, you've been in this really interesting situation where you're in, you know, uh, impoverished Memphis, but you also have a heart for diversity in New Zealand. Like, one, where did that come? Where did you get that heart for the poor and the impoverished and, and injustice? Where, where did that come from? Because you don't just, 
Yeah. You don't just wake up one day and say, I care about the poor. Obviously, if that was the case, we would pray for everyone to do that. And then we'd finally solve the poor in the church. Uh, even though scripture says you'll always have the poor, but what, like, where did that come from for you? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it's a big question. Um, I grew up in a really beautiful church. I had a really beautiful church experience in my upbringing at a Presbyterian church here in Memphis uh, that I love. And I'm, I've been involved for the last 11 years in one of their church plants here in Memphis. And um, there were two sort of like really major shaping features of growing up in that church. One was um, just a really strong commitment to, to following Jesus Mm. And a scripture is the place where you figure out how to do that. So it was a church that really kind of held up scripture as, as the source for discovering what living in God's good kingdom was like. And mm. um, the, 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 like the, the like commitment to discipleship was really something that we talked about a lot and that I really got. So when I came to faith at an early age, um, and was living in that church, like I really got this sense that, okay, Jesus is doing something incredible in the world and he wants to involve us. And scripture is, is one of our best ways of figuring out what that looks like. That was one side of my, of my church experience. The other side of my church experience is that in the 1960s, uh, my church was the target of uh, 14 weeks of protests by Christians because we had an explicitly segregationist policy uh, wow. in the 50s and 60s. And so black and white Christians from Memphis tried to attend church at this church that I grew up in in the 50s and 60s and were turned away because of the church's explicitly segregationist stance. Mm. And it you know made national news and it split the church and the the the, the church that remained was the group of people who thought uh, something about what we had done was deeply wrong. Hmm. So in other words, like when I, I was born in the eighties, the church that I grew up in, I would describe us as being like in, in, in the recovery from racism. So we're like at the racist anonymous meeting and we're like, hi, I'm here. My life has become unmanageable, you know, that kind of thing. And so, um, <laughs> so as a result, this church that, that had this seriously broken white supremacist past, right. Uh, obvious no debate about it yeah <laughs> um was nevertheless bringing in people like ron Sider and john perkins to help us figure out how to recover um from uh not just racism but also our our economic failures because it's an extremely wealth wealthy community and memphis is a very very economically poor city so you know when guys like Ron Sider and Dr. John, who wrote, you know, Ron Sider wrote Rich Christians in an, age, in an Age of Hunger, or Dr. John Perkins, who founded the Christian Community Development Association. These guys, uh, when they came in, I was already committed to discipleship and following Jesus and figuring out what that looks like in the Bible. And they just like opened up the Bible. I'm like, look at all this stuff that's in here. <laughs> right, exactly. And <laughs> you're not talking about. Right. You know? it's, well, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a, hey, I did this dissertation, read my words. Yeah, it was, that's right. No, 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 let's go back to Jesus. Let's go back to the, that's right. to the scripture. Yeah. Go back to Jesus and, and really increasingly go back to the Old Testament, to God's design for humans and for the people of God, you know, from the very beginning of our, of our redemption story. Yeah. And so yeah. 
that really gave me a, a I, I, I had this kind of like deep sense that something was wrong in, 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 in our, in, in my Christian life, there were some gaps. Yeah. Um, and then God just used all of that to lead me on a really cool journey. So I went to covenant college and, uh, covenant college at the time was one of the few Christian schools in the country that had a community development program. Wow. Uh, and so I sort of stumbled my way into there and, so that sort of started the trajectory. So I, I, I did spend two years in Kenya working on an agricultural development project in partnership with the Anglican Church there. Um, but then another big, it, while I was raising money to go to Kenya just after college and, and uh, uh, while I was trying to get married to my wife, we were trying to find time to get married and, and, and then move to Kenya. <clears throat> sort of by accident. I ended up working at this organization in South Memphis called Advanced Memphis that was helping adults um, get their GEDs and go to work for the first time yeah. and, and, and that kind of thing. And that experience was utterly transformational. Like it was a complete game changer for me because it was the first time in my life that I had spent time with adults who had experienced serious economic injustice right. and racism. Um and it was my first time spending significant time in this neighborhood and it was just totally transformative. So, so by the time we left to go to Kenya, we were already thinking, I wonder if God will call us back to advance into this community, right. which he did. We felt very strongly that, that we were called back to advance. So when we came back in 2011 to Memphis, my wife and I, I went back to work for this nonprofit and that's when we moved into our neighborhood here and we've been here for 11 years. And so all of my, yeah, I am, it is weird now. Um, like I can now say like, I am a Bible scholar that if I have a tool, that's it, you know, Yeah. but all yeah. of that has been driven by this kind of experience of wanting to say, um, what does it look like for God's people? Um, uh, to embody this good news mm. for the poor that we hear about mm. in scripture and, and what role does scripture play in, in shaping us for that work? So that's, that's really the big story. Well, um, and it's incredible because it's where we just live in such a frustrating age. We joked that you are, you are, you're only on the, uh, the depressing, angry platforms of Twitter and Facebook. Um, <laughs> but it, it's so frustrating that like, I know there's probably one person out of like the, my five listeners that are listening to this going like, is he woke? Is he like, and it's, I just hate that. Like you, you, yeah, lit, yeah. you lived in a church. Mm -hmm. You grew up in a church that literally was racist. Yeah. And realized it through the illumination of scripture by the Holy spirit. Yeah. Which is a thing that happens to all Christians. Yeah. yeah. Holy spirit yeah. illuminates scripture to us. And they realized this is not, it's, it's not, this is something that as an American, I shouldn't do. No, this is something as a Christian, we're not supposed to be yeah. and do. Yeah. Right? And then that informed you and, and, and nurtured a, a heart posture in you that then uh, that, that embellished this wonderful pursuit of justice because scripture demands justice and God, yeah. and not justice of against white people or anything like that, just the justice in general of like God, God didn't look back and go, Hey, this this one one people group is the worst. It's like like what it what are you just what are you doing? Like you can't be in my community and have any type of prejudice against each other in this way. Like I'm, yeah. I remember I preached a sermon um, 
from Psalm 51, but I, I, I referenced in Amos when God was like, I don't care about your worship stuff, yeah. your services, yeah. your worship yeah. Yeah. because if like, it doesn't even matter. And I told people like, if you, if you come to a worship service and you have prejudice in any way, like if it's, right. I don't like this person because they dress this way, or I don't like this person because they focus on this. I'm like, these are the things that God was pointing to in a greater way back in the Old Testament because they were more divisive. It wasn't just, I don't like how you dress. It was, I don't like you as a person. I don't believe you have worth because this is where you came from and this is your genealogy and this is like all this, you know, a lot more intense racial and, and um, uh, socioeconomical uh, prejudice. Mm -hmm. But the 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 annoying thing is it gets muddied in American culture because we it's you don't always have that as clear lines it's mm. it, it can be way more uh, difficult to find, but if it still exists, God says it doesn't matter. I don't. I'm not accepting your worship. Don't don't mm. don't even come to church. Don't join corporate worship if that's what you're right, gonna right, do. Right. And yeah, and I think that's what like we need more people like you voicing that in the in the Christian community saying like stop stop coming to church thinking God's okay with the way that you interact with other people. And it's not hey feel bad because you're white. Feel bad because. Uh, you you still have an issue with the past racism if you're African-American, right? Like, it's not that. It's just don't come to church if your heart posture is not filled with love for your brother and for the Lord, right? And and you can still have that and, and say, God, I, I cry out, like you're saying in your article, I cry out for, I want, we need to have justice. We need to have things change. Things need to change. But that can't come from any other heart posture of other than a love for the Lord and a love for your brother. If it comes from anything else, then it's not going to be genuine. And God's still going to say the same thing. I don't want your worship. I don't want mm -hmm. I don't want prejudiced people worshiping me on a Sunday, raising their hands, thinking everything's good. Because that's not that's not what my people do. Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting point you make um, that there are places where scripture says, like, your worship has become so defiled. Yeah. Um, In Deuteronomy. That it's, it's not worth doing, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know. For instance, you've got that example. I've done a lot of research on First Corinthians, where yes. Paul says, "11." Paul says, "As a, you cannot celebrate the Lord's Supper, and you're trying to, right? Right? And the reason why is because you are shaming the poor and despising the Church of God. Exactly. And so there, you know, you have this like really strong criticism, like your worship. And I think part of the reason why it's such an indictment is because worshiping God. Uh, you know, Psalm, uh, what, what is it? Um, is it 135 that says, uh, those who worship idols become like them, right? Yeah. So this idea that we, what we worship shapes who we are. Yeah. And so part of the reason why it's so indicting when we come to worship and leave with our prejudices and injustices and um, et cetera, unaffected is that worship is one of God's strategies for making us who he wants to be. Exactly. Including making us people who who love justice and do it in the world. And, and you know, I was going to say, I think another part of my story that you, you mentioned that I would just, I would add to that, which I think has been really helpful for me because you're right. This whole thing of like, you know, is this guy woke or is this, you know, uh, some kind of critical race theory or something. Um, I think a major piece that helped me in my journey uh, or has shaped me in my journey is that, you know, the church that I grew up in had scripture. And when we realized that we had a problem with our racism, we turned to it. Right. But actually the catalyst was not just Bible study. 
right? right? The catalyst was there are these black Christians on the steps who were saying this segregation of yours is inconsistent with the gospel. And they were not, many of them were not nurtured uh, in traditions of church like mine, you know, like right. one of the, um, you know, James Lawson was the United black United Methodist church pastor who, who helped bring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to Memphis and who trained a number of these young people, you know, and what Christians in, in my church said at the time was that these black brothers and sisters were not genuine believers, right? They were just communists. They were just agitators, mm. right? And there's a guy at Rhodes College here in town who I know, Stephen Haynes, who's written a book on the Neelands called The Last Segregated Hour. And he documents actually all these people were really genuine believers. And I've actually gotten a chance um, to meet a couple of the people wow. who, who were participating in this protest. And so for me, I'm not only part of a church that loves scripture, I'm part of a church that had to have outsiders from a different theological tradition show us that we were misreading it. Yeah. And so this kind of hostility to um, um, this desire to label uh, uh, Christians who cared about, care about justice or race as, as, as um, you know, dismissively as like woke or social right. justice warriors or whatever. I mean, so, you know, part of my resistance to that is just that, in 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 our in the corporate story that I'm a part of, we've needed people that the church was labeling. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. the church was putting some of these labels on, you know. Oh. And so the idea that like we could get there on our own without the help from people outside our traditions is just it just has not been the historic experience yeah. of um of the of the of the faith community that raised me and that I love and that got me on this journey. So yeah, so I think. I think that that has also shaped the way I engage these yeah. issues. You know? Yeah, you, we have to, we cannot shirk abrasion and friction. As a Christian, we yeah. should em embrace friction and abrasion uh, in, in our life because that's typically how the Lord works, right? right? Like, so, in, you know, right. we talked before the podcast, like, and everyone, if you listen to the podcast, you don't have to, Mike, but it's okay. Uh, you'll okay. hear in the past year, like, I've, I talk about what the Lord has done in my life and the friction and abrasion that I experienced this past year was was what I needed to be humbled to then mm. approach everything in my life differently, especially this podcast, mm. right? Like, I approach interacting with people on this podcast so much more differently. I, I don't even think God would open these doors for me to talk to you and people like Meredith Andrews and Mike Donahue and other people like... He wouldn't have opened those doors because I wasn't ready because I hadn't experienced the friction and abrasion of suffering mm. to then mm. be broken of my idol. And I think mm. in many ways in, in our faith, we do that, right? We we yeah. say, okay, well, like you're talking about, and then we can segue kind of into the, the songs, right? We well, I don't yeah, yeah. I don't want to sing. It feels are we making too much of this if we sing right. about justice? And then I think what you would push back is I think we're making too much of comfy. Of comfy love of of the comfy <laughs> love we have in the Lord, yeah. right? Like, yeah. If, yeah. I, I think, and that's what we do. We we go. Are you making too much of this? And then right. the, the pushback naturally should be, Are you making too much of what you're doing? Right, because right. I right. only right. I only hear on church the love of the Lord that mm. you that we get because we're in the in crowd, right? And as James indicted them in, in his in his book, like, what are you what are you doing with the poor? Right, right, they right. Be able to sing and worship with you, not, not just you. 
Yeah, right. You, you don't just get to experience the love of the Lord. Other people need to anyway. So, so what, where did this article, why we don't sing justice songs in worship, where did that come from? And what was, yeah. you know, cause it, it's, it drips with shepherd, a shepherd mentality, which I love. Like it can tell you were you weren't just like, like a keyboard warrior. You weren't just so frustrated. You, you said yeah. there's yeah. an issue and I, I want, I want people just to be aware. Right. And yeah. I love it. So, so go on. This is a great question. So the, you know, the kind of immediate cause is uh, I'm working on a book. So, oh. uh, uh, you know, I, I, I wrote with some friends a few years ago, Robbie Hall and Brian Fickert, a book on what we would call whole life economic discipleship called practicing the King's economy. And, um, and then I did my dissertation and, and over the course of that, I realized that my, my next thing I wanted to think about was what does scripture say about how the people of God become just? Hmm. So, so in other words, you know, there, and, and, and because of the kind of thing of really strong critiques of Christians talking about justice, this is changing a little bit, but the truth is in my circles, um, most of us have realized that, you know, Micah six, eight exists in our sacred text. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so we know we're supposed to do justice. The question is, and, and the question that animates me a lot is, well, how do we become people who do it, who know what justice is and do what it demands, given that we've often been formed um, through our own sin and the sins of others for injustice, right? Yeah. So how do we follow Jesus towards becoming just people? So I'm working on a book for IVP Academic on that. It's it's a little bit more of a, a an academic book, um, but but I still want it to be accessible. And so so in the course of that, I, I had this question of like, well, what do the Psalms say about justice? Yeah. And because a lot of my research has been on how worship and, you know, in my dissertation, I looked at how feasts, the feasts are a part of the worship service of the people of God and they're designed to shape the community in certain ways. So yeah. it was easy for me to think about singing um, and then, and then read the Psalms with that lens. Now, the other side of that is um, I, you know, from the time I was, 14 to the time I was 25, one of the primary ways I participated in church leadership was by leading worship. Oh. So I have spent a lot of time, uh, you know, strumming my guitar up front and working with groups of people. And I'm very mediocre at it. And the church that I'm uh, 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 in now and have been and love has far too few acoustic guitars for me to really be a part of that. Um, and so I haven't done it as much over these last decade, but um, I do, I have been an insider to thinking about crafting worship services yeah. or whatever. So I went to Psalms with this question about justice and there's been a lot of stuff written on lament. That's really helped me. Yes. Um, the justice angle is connected to that, but it's a little bit different. So, so I, I got into this and, um, it just became immediately clear to me that, uh, Justice, you prick, you prick the Psalms and they bleed justice. They they bleed Amen. the people of God calling for justice, right? Uh, they bleed the people of God committing themselves to justice, right? Which is one interesting thing about singing. You know, uh, Gordon Wenham has, has pointed this out. It's different hearing that Boaz cared for refugee Ruth than singing you are a god who cares for refugees uh yeah. versus saying in worship 
test me according to your righteousness. Like one is I'm hearing about something that might be nice, which is important, but the other is sort of committing yourself. Yeah. Right. So Psalms sing singing when says has these self-involving aspects. Yes. You know, you, you're, which, you're which, saying I'm a part of this. Yes. And it's like in prayer, you know, and, and the most obvious example here would be something like the Lord's prayer, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We yes. slip that in there, but it's like, do you really want that? Do I really want that? You want God has given us this kind of, yeah. yeah, this kind of self-obligating oath, you know? So, so, so the Psalms work like that as, as texts to be sung and prayed. And one of the things they self-obligate is to is justice. And one of the things, and this really throws us off. They don't just ask for justice. They don't just commit the Psalmist to justice. One of the primary things they celebrate about God is God's justice. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. praise God? Because he's just, that comes out again and again. And what's incredible about this, I'm also fascinated. I'm absolutely like astounded by the Psalms because, um, you know, if most of the, of the Bible, it, uh, is, is words about God, uh, the Psalms are words to God, God. Mm -hmm. right? And so there are, they are obviously human words and the humanness of the Psalms is there. You know, we get the emotions and everything, but if you're, if you're someone who like me believes that every word of scripture is duly authored, mm. that means that these human words to God are also God authorized, God given. Right. So, Cause all scripture is God breathed. So yes. So these are, uh, the way I talk about it is they're like language lessons. They're like scripts that God gives us to learn how to speak to him. That's really yeah. cool. So it's incredible when you think about uh, like uh, the, the life of faith requires a language of faith. And here God has given us language lessons to, le to learn it. And so then the question is, it's not just interesting that like the people of God demand justice. It's that God teaches them to, to demand, demand justice. <laughs> in conversation with him. It's not just that it's incredible that, that God's people commit themselves to justice. It's that God teaches them, requires them to do so. And, and if you ask the Psalms, what does God appear to want to be praised for? Why does God think that God himself is praiseworthy? Worthy of praise. It justice is at the top of that list, you know? Oh man. So, yeah. so, so it, it was just, it was so exhilarating uh, and, and again, I've, I've preached and taught on lament for a number of years, inspired by people doing good work on lament, like Sung Chan Ra and Chris Rice and Emmanuel Katangole and um, uh, 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 Walter Perugaman. I, I, that had affected my preaching and teaching and, and, and pastoral care. But thinking about justice, I was just shocked when you brought that same kind of perspective yeah. to this question. And, and so that's really, really where I got started. Um, and, and then I, you know, I remember hearing Sung Chan Ra take the Christian, the CCLI, you know, the top mm -hmm. Christian contemporary songs that we sing and also some hymnals and say, what happens if we examine what we sing in hymnals and in Christian contemporary worship and compare it to lament? Right. And so I wanted to ask some of the same questions about justice. Oh, just, yeah. And some people had done some writing on that. I found some good stuff on that. But I think in this Christianity Today article, which actually started out on a Twitter thread, which like blew up, which has never happened to me before. I know. Um, that's that's one of the things I, I saw. That's where I someone sent me the Twitter thread and then I saw the article. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah, I have never. Well, the article, my friend Kara at Christianity Today 
emailed me. It was like, Hey, I see you're trending. Do you want to write it? You know? Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was like, sure. Um, but, but that, the, the, what, what that was driven by was I had just spent, you know, probably six months reading the Psalms, uh, thinking about justice. And then I just read the lyrics of the top 25 CCLI songs yeah. and they're completely different, right? They're, they're on this issue. Yep. They could not be further apart. There's no references to poor or poverty in the top 25. The widow, refugee, and oppressor are completely absent. There are very few references to enemies, which the enemies are arguably the third most common character in the Psalms. Right. And they don't ever ask God anything. There's no place in the top 25 worship songs right now where people are are pleading with, with God. And so, yeah, you know, for me, if the Psalms are God's inspired text... Surely they provide a benchmark for how we should sing. Maybe not the exclusive text we should sing, but a benchmark for comparison. Right. The principle behind what we should be singing. Yeah, and on this matter, we're, we're way off. <laughs> no, there's a um, when I is when I felt like I was seeing. No, and I think you're completely right. Like it's, it's. So I'm just looking. Like I'm actually clicking on because I'm. I'm now. I'm, I'm betting some of my our own stuff from the Grace Collective, and actually one of my favorite songs. That the hard part is. And that we've felt uh, as as songwriters is it's difficult to to make it to make it fit in an organic and natural way without it feeling mm. kind of clunky, right? But like there was, an, or or as the hard part too, you know, because you know, as a, as someone who's led the congregation, there are personal worship songs and then there are congregational worship songs, and there's yeah. a clear delineation between the two. Oftentimes we think, oh well, we could just sing this song, and I'm, it's it's hard to sing a song that's that isn't congregational in a congregational setting. And I remember one of our first albums, we wrote a song called Never Far From Me. Um, and we had questions in it. And it was like, Father, don't you hear my constant pleas and see my trouble mm. close behind? Though there's nothing that you cannot see, my unbelief says you are blind. Long and evil are the days. And when they end, I cannot see. Oh God, please hear me as I pray. Oh Lord, please don't be far from me. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, but that's hard to sometimes sing because especially in, and as you know, especially in this, this huge wave of, um, I don't, I don't want to say it's seeker sensitive, but it is very much this like, okay, so life is tough. Let's, let's overload the tough with joy, right? With, with the good, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, I'm, I remember I used to be yeah. at church and people know, like I used to, I used to lead worship at a church where the pastor was like, we need to start with a peppy song to get everyone going. And I said, well, not everyone wants to get going first right. thing in the morning when right. they've had like a really rough week. Maybe right. we need to have a, what if, what if the first song of the, the, the service was a song like what I just read where it was yeah. really, really down and it was contemplative yes. and it was a moment yes. for everyone to kind of say, Hey, where am I on this spectrum of, of, of grief to joy and with yes. everything in between. Um, and even laments, good laments still have joy in them because they, they say yes. there's there's a truth that rebuts the 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 lie that I may believe in this moment of my lament. There's a movement to them. There's a right. movement to them. There's yeah. amen. And so, so there's I, I really believe that as worship leaders and pastors, we do our we do our churches a disservice when we prop up this idea of this is what the Christian life is supposed to be like, joyful. Yeah. And, and, and we, what we do is we take our corporate worship services and we say, this is like, here's your, here's your benchmark for what your, your life's supposed to look like. You're supposed to yeah. have these great times of, whew, I'm feeling the Lord today. And these wonderful times when we're opening scripture and everything is so clear and you, you feel motivated right. and you right. go home when in reality, Monday through Saturday, 
if, like your kids don't sleep, your friends are, are are mean to you out of nowhere, your job's unfulfilling, but God is still good. Right. Okay. So what does that look like now? And how do you worship him then? Yeah. And I think, I think what you're pointing to um, is a lie that we believe that every aspect of gathering for worship should always immediately resonate with where I individually am, mm, mm. which like, as soon as you say that out loud, you realize, well, obviously that's impossible, right? Yes. And or selfish. it's, it's, it's impossible and selfish unless, unless everyone in the church is exactly where I am. Exactly. Now, what would cause everyone in the church to be exactly where I am? Well, one thing would be if we don't allow the expression of pain, then those who are in pain will go elsewhere or pretend. Right. right? So you've got some, you know, but also there are structural elements, right? Like, like uh, black people and white people and Latino people and First Nations people experience the news in our country very, very differently. Yes. Um, uh, they experience economic growth or economic life very differently yeah. right and so um we've kind of tried to make everything hit everyone where they are all the time right and then we which has an an, an essentially homogenizing move because you otherwise can't do it and then you pair that with in american life we tend to sort along economic and ethnic racial racial ethnic lines yeah and and it's and it gets really damaging, right? And yeah. and and um and so and so there's that whole sort of uh I think set of weird commitments in in Christian life that some pastors have, you know, we need to meet people where they are all right. the time, and and parishioners have church goers have, you know, like I need I, that song didn't resonate with me, you know. Mm. Um uh and what's interesting about that is that as an inspired text, the Psalms solve both problems. Yeah. If, if you commit to praying and singing them continually or praying songs that reflect their diversity continually, you solve that problem. So one of my most, like I am, you know, I, 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 I have, in, I am a, uh, less than an, I am a preteen in the spiritual life, you know? So, so nothing to boast about in terms of my spiritual development and formation and all that. But, but the one practice, one of the practices that I've seen be most transformative for me is, is using the Psalms continuously as scripts for prayer. Amen. And so what that means is that what I try to do is that in the morning when I pray, the next Psalm becomes my script for prayer. And what that means is Sometimes I have the experience of going, oh my goodness, I didn't even know I was feeling that. But the Holy Spirit gave me a text Amen. that is like spot on laser on my soul, right? And then other days, I'm like, uh, yeah. we, you know, Psalm 44, why, oh Lord, do you sleep? We are bowed down. We are yeah. crushed in the dust. And I'm like, that doesn't relate to me. I, that, like, I don't feel like that at all. Yeah. And at that, that moment... I can either choose not to pray it or I can say, who do I pray this alongside today? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And so if, when we worship, if our worship reflects that same diversity, I know going in that there are going to be prayers and songs 
that don't reflect my in immediate existential experience. Of course, they're they going to resonate with other people. You're going to resonate with somebody. And so this all becomes strategies for responding to Paul's command, you know, bear one another's burdens, mourn mm. with those who mourn, rejoice with those who mourn. So, so I think um, you see these, the, the, uh, the common dynamics that prevent us um, from singing songs that sound like the Psalms, those dynamics are themselves part of the problem and singing the Psalms yeah. or Psalm-like songs are part of the solution. Amen. One thing I noticed is it, it, when looking at the top 25, you know, orphan does show up. And I don't think that's because yeah. we're thinking about orphans. Mm -hmm. I think that's because that's an easily spiritualizable, right? That's uh, about me. Category. I was yeah. an orphan, yeah. but God right. saved exactly. me. That, that's right. That's right. And so what you see is, and you see this in, in adaptations of Psalms as well, um, is an effort to generalize the language, mm. right? So whereas the psalmist might complain about those who lend with interest, <laughs> you know, or 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 um, 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 those who take bribes or something, we 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 generalize, and and what you gain is is the likelihood that more people will relate, maybe, right? But what yeah. you lose is far more, Ooh. right? You lose far more the specificity the gospel landing in life and the ability of the songs to convict, right? Yeah. Like the ability of the oh, songs man. to convict. Like, like if, if you think about, um, uh, uh, I, I have this like, like sort of image that I've been, you know, uh, kicking around in my head. Um, what would it have been like if, if uh, segregated, slave era churches had sung the Psalms. Ooh. Like what would it be like for black slaves forced to sit in the back to sing, smash the teeth of the wicked. Oh Lord with white slave owners in the front singing those same songs. Like what, what would be happening in that moment? Yeah. Uh, because whatever would be happening in that moment, in my imagination, at least would be happening in Israel's worship, if they sang the Psalms, they right. would be singing. We know because of those Amos passages that you mentioned that those who were oppressing their neighbor and the neighbors who oppressed participated in the corporate life of worship. What did God intend for those two groups to experience yeah. by giving them songs that say, smash the teeth of the wicked, make my enemies melt like snails into slime. Like what was God up to, you know, in yeah. giving those texts to the people? Well, um, it's so funny because I think the same thing would happen today if that actually happened because we right. have so many people in our church who have created enemies in their own body based on the difference that they that they they perceive within the the yes. body based on just preference right it's like but such to it's sad that we have to even ask the question to, yeah. like it would frustrates me is that we ask those questions, not saying you frustrate me, but we, we we look back and go, man, what would it have been like to, for slaves to sing those things about these, just the, the justice, the righteous justice of the Lord? And I'm thinking, yes, but we have everything in front of us right now. We're like, that could actually impact us here. Yeah, it's right. really great right. looking back at me like this, this would have changed a lot, but we don't even care about right now because we don't want right. to be like, we we do that. We're not saying that's what you do. We we sit up here and pontificate and say like, oh man, look at this. The justice of the Lord would have really impacted the slavery 
uh, in our country and the races. And I'm like, or, or how about it, it impacts the preferential prejudice of the current Christian church in America? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. And I think, yeah. So in this Christianity Today essay and in the chapter of this book that I'm, I'm working on, I start out, you know, a lot of people have talked about the slave Bible, which is an edited Bible yeah. created somewhere in England, early 19th century uh, for use with slaves in, in, in the Caribbean. And so you ask yourself, like, what do you think they would cut out? Mm. And there's a bunch of obvious stuff. Like, you know, they're going to cut out all the early Exodus stuff, you know, yep. you know, they're going to cut out neither slave nor free in Paul, you know, but they cut out the entirety of the Psalms. Mm. <laughs> Which is, I think, on the surface, surprising to us that we don't think about prayers and songs as being particularly threatening to the deeply the unjust slave yeah, dynamic. Yeah. And and I think they would be then, and I think they could be now. Yeah. To your point. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's like enormous, like um, <clears throat> you know, one thing I learned, I mean, just to hear you talk about this. But um, well, real quick, uh, real quick. So yeah, yeah, we're yeah. at forty minutes. So I want okay, to say, okay. But no, we'll we'll keep, we can keep going, and we'll just put this yeah. behind the paywall, uh, just because I want to I want to keep talking, uh, and I don't want to cut you off. But so um, before we go into the paywall, yeah. so what I'll do is I'll you know just say hey we're done. I'll tell everyone you know if you want to listen to more, just subscribe and follow. Uh, so people can follow you on Twitter at Michael Rhodes. Um, I think it's at Michael J Rhodes. At Michael J Rhodes. Um, uh, you you can find his articles on Christianity Today. Uh, I think you've done a few on Christianity Today. Let's see. There's yeah. two, a bunch on Christianity Today. Center for Hebraic Thought, the B- Biblical Mind podcast. The Grace Collective's better. Uh, I mean, not the Grace Collective. I mean, the Theology Music's better. Uh, Center for Hebraic Thought, Christianity Today, uh, Biblical Mind podcast. Um, yeah, you've got a bunch of publications. Just search for, uh, you got it in Studies in Christian Ethics, Journal of Markets and Morality. It's got a ton of stuff, got a ton of stuff to read. Um, any Anywhere else do you want people to find you? Yeah, and the most accessible of that stuff is on Christianity Day and also on the Center for Hebraic Thought, which okay. has done some other good stuff on the Psalms as well by other people. So that there would be go. one that I'd definitely rec- recommend. Okay, so thank you guys for listening. Like I said, if you want to hear the rest of this conversation, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Theology of Music. Subscribe, uh, become a member for either $5, $10, or $25 a month, and you'll get a full video. You get the full video podcast and the audio podcast you can download to any of your devices. But now Michael and I are going to continue to talk, and you don't get to do this unless you are a member. So, but with that, I hope you guys have a great Lord's Day and a great time worshiping together corporately. Uh, Thank you guys for listening.